Father, thank you that you're a God who speaks to us today. Uh, you use your word primarily, but you do speak in other ways too. But we thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for this glorious picture that we have of you where, Lord, the, 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 the heavenly hosts are the ones who cry out to you, cry out to each other, holy, 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 is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And, Father, we worship you tonight. We bless your name. We want to stand in awe of your presence tonight and pray that your Holy Spirit will just move amongst us and touch us and open our eyes and our ears and uh, do those things that only you can do in the human heart. And that we might go from this place just feeling as if we've had a real encounter with you. Knowing that you've been amongst us. You're the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And you're walking amongst us here tonight. So touch us, meet us, help us to meet with you. And we ask this tonight for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, long time ago, uh, and I would think probably before most of you were born here. So we're looking around about the late 60s. Who was born in the 60s? There's a few here, yep, 60s and 70s, there was a band, somewhere around that time, a pop group arose, uh, and they were called the Five Man Electric Band, and they sung a song, and, or performed a song, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but the song was called Signs, who remembers that song? Some of you do, and nodding, there. great, I didn't buy the record, but uh, this is how it went, this was, this was the main chorus of, if you like of that song and it goes like this I won't sing it spare that but it goes like this sign sign everywhere a sign blocking out the scenery breaking my mind do this don't do that can't you read the signs remember that song yeah it was a popular one back then so I said most of you guys weren't even born back then so you missed out not really but that song as I thought about those lyrics again it was no doubt a song no doubt back then was a protest bit of an anti-authority song there, a protest over that, what that generation then saw as excessive rules, excessive regulations that limited one's freedom of expression and restricted choices of where we can go, what we can do. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it and don't anyone tell us any different type attitude. And, and here were these signs telling them, do this, don't do that, can't you read the signs type thing. That was the... The song, as I said, I didn't bother buying the record. But honestly, where would we be without signs? Where would we be without signs? Life would be pretty confusing. I don't know whether we got a PowerPoint. Did you find that PowerPoint, guys? You imagine how confusing we'd be without signs. These are some of the signs that we might see. I don't know if you can read that. Can you read it? Sorry. If, can you, I'll just quickly mention this. Crocodiles on the side of that road. Real live crocodiles, right? And the sign says, hikers and bikers move to the side of the road when a vehicle approaches. <laughs> Great sign. Next one. We'll whisper through these fairly quickly. Can you read that one? Please refrain from standing on the toilet bowl as an accident is bound to happen. <laughs> Signs. Another sign. There you go. That one's self-explanatory. Read that one. Life would be confusing without signs. The purpose of a sign, really, when you think about it, is not to direct attention to itself. The purpose of a sign is to direct your attention to something else. Road signs, for example, they'll point the way to distant towns and cities. They'll also warn you 
about what's up in front of you, what's ahead. The signs will warn you. They'll warn you of hazards. They'll warn you of dangers. And really, they can save your life. How many crashes I went to as an AMBO, and a lot of those causes being that people didn't read the signs. And they came unstuck, some of them fairly severely. We need to read the signs. So here's a little question for you. So who read the signs coming to church tonight? Here's another question. Who didn't see any signs at all? Yeah. Who needs to go to Specsavers? No, oh, sorry about that. But let me encourage you tonight, as we talk about signs, let me encourage you to read and observe the signs that we see in the Scriptures. Read, observe the signs we see in the Bible because there are many of them, as we know, going through this book particularly, and they too will warn you. They'll warn you of what's ahead. They'll point you in the way, the way to go. And in Revelations 12 and 13, uh, the signs uh, that we have here point us to, for example, in this particular context here, they'll point us to conflicts, forces in conflict with each other as a battle rages between God and Satan for the rule of the world. That's basically what we see in these chapters here. Um, Revelation 12.1, let's move into it. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of seven stars on her head. And before we, we sort of examine this in any kind of further detail here, I want us to look at how the amplified version, uh, what the amplified version says of verse 1 in that first part. Um, if you've got an amplified version, otherwise just listen, I'll read it to you. And it says this, And a great sign, wonder, warning of future events of ominous significance appeared in heaven. I love that because I think it just kind of amplifies what we're saying. It's a warning of future events of, omin of ominous uh, significance appeared in heaven. And that was the first part of that verse. So this is the first of seven signs uh, that appear in the last half of the book of Revelation. So who is this woman? Some would have us believe that it's Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. But as you read on, and particularly in places like verse 6, I'm going to mention a number of scriptures here tonight. If you're taking notes, I'll, I'll try and read them slowly so you can jot them down and check it out later on because it's, some good, it's good just to do some background reading afterwards. So passages such as verse 6 and then 13 to 17, I think as we read that, look at that, um, it's fairly obvious that this woman is not Mary. Um, it'd also be helpful to understand uh, that the great and wondrous sign that John saw in heaven was in all probability was, was not an actual woman uh, but symbolic of something else. Um, so when you look at how this woman is described and let's look at how she's described just quickly she's clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of seven stars on her head. Now if you look at those terms that are used here the moon uh, sorry the sun the moon the stars and then you compare that with Daniel's vision to look at the description that, that, sorry, Joseph's dream, let me get that right. So when you compare that description of Revelation with how Joseph described a dream that he had in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9, look at this. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Isn't it interesting how these same words are used here? 
And so most Bible scholars would, and commentators agree that the woman and mother is symbolising Israel here. And might tend to lean in that, in, that same, uh, in that same category, that she probably is Israel. Have a look at Isaiah 54 and verse 5. It speaks about the woman, the wife to God. Um, Isaiah 54, 5, how God, how God refers to Israel. And then the 12 stars on her head. The 12 stars on her head equals the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what it seems to be. The child born to her is Christ. Um, take these notes down if you like. Psalm 2, verse 9. Romans 1 and verse 3. And Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. And then Revelation 19, 15. I hope you got that. If you want to check it out with me afterwards, that's fine. But as we know... And I want, to, I want to just kind of digress a little bit here, but I, and I think it's important. As we know, there are uh, differing opinions about many of the symbols that are presented here in Revelation. But certain agreement and unity abounds, I believe, among evangelicals that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Amen? Lots of different opinions about symbols and what it means and this and that. But the bulk of God's people, the evangelical people who believe in the scripture and the word of God, believe together, unified, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That the world was made by him and for him. Colossians 1.16, beautiful words, magnificent words. Colossians 1.16. And that world history then will culminate in him. Everything made by him and for him, world history finally culminates in this incredible person, this God called the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 11, for example. We didn't read that passage. Revelation 11, verse 15 says this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Wow, what awesome voices. What an awesome word this is. He will reign forever and ever. You know, tonight, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, then you're, gonna, you're guaranteed, guaranteed, uh, to be part of this particular scene, part of his kingdom. And you know what? Not only part of his kingdom, and mysteries of mysteries to me, you'll also reign with him. You'll reign with Christ. This is what Paul said to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy. Listen to these words. Listen to this whole scripture here. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says this, Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Listen to this last part, because this is important too. If we disown him, he will also disown us. They're sobering words, aren't they? We dare not disown this one called the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear, we need to, obher, we need to observe all of what God's saying to us, even this part here. You know, there's absolutely nothing, there is nothing more important than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Not your career, not your reputation, not who you're going to marry, if you're going to marry, none of those things. It's seek you, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added unto you. Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus in your life. The one who gave his life for you on the cross. So that we might be with him forever. That's what matters out of it all. If you hear nothing else tonight, then you take hold of that truth and walk away with that. And say, Lord, I worship you for that incredible truth of knowing you, of having a relationship with you. The second wonder, and I need to get moving, the second sign or wonder that John sees here is found in verse 3 of chapter 12. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And there can be no guessing here. There needs to be no debate over who this dragon symbolises because it says so very clearly who it is. In verse 9 of chapter 12, it says this, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And indeed, he is leading the whole world astray. Make sure you're not being led astray with him. That's important. Um, so that's who it is. We know this dragon is Satan. The red colour, well, the red colour symbolises the fiery destructiveness and the bloodthirstiness of, of Satan's vicious and deadly nature. The reality is Satan hates you. If you love Jesus, he hates you. But you don't have to worry about that because Jesus loves you. And he's overcome Satan. And so have we in his authority. More about that later on. Um, and we need to look at verse 4, for example, which I didn't read. Verse 4 relates to um, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and on from there. Jot that down. And then when Satan revolted, so when Satan revolted against God along with some of the angels, that's what verse 4 is talking about. So when Satan revolted against God with some of the angels who went with him, who fell with him, you'll also remember how the Lord Jesus described Satan in Matthew 8, 44, when he called him, he was a murderer from the beginning. He is a thief he is a robber. He is a murderer from the beginning. And so true to his nature, as John sees it in this next scene, in, in verse 4 here, uh, yeah, chapter 12, verse 4, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that, he, so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. And we know, we know from history, we know from our scripture, from the Bible, that Satan has always opposed and tried to destroy Christ and his mission, along with all those who belong to him. And he opposes, he opposes Christ today. He opposes the mission of Christ today. And don't we know it? Don't we know it? Warren Worsby, he says this, during Old Testament days, Satan did all he could to keep the Saviour from being born. And when Jesus was born, Satan tried to kill him. Matthew 2, 16 and so on. We know these stories from the Christmas narratives. During his earthly life, Christ was attacked by Satan in various ways, culminating in the cross. Satan also attacks the people of God, which we've already said. But we want to give thanks to God tonight. Thanks be and praise be to God. Because Jesus Christ finished the work. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
he finished the redemptive work that God gave him to do at the cross, defeating Satan, defeating. And he departed this world. He ascended victorious with all authority his. All authority is his. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, the scripture says. Magnificent picture of Jesus, the victorious Christ. And so are we in him. Verses 7 and 9 of Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And most believers, I'm sure, most of us, if not all of us, in Christ, believers in Christ, we are aware that we are at war, are we not? We know that we're at war. And look, if you're not aware of that, or if you try to deny this fact and kind of explain it out some other way, then I want to say this to you tonight. You're vulnerable. If you deny that we're not at war, then you're very vulnerable to Satan's attacks. He wants to hide behind things. He doesn't want you to really know who he is. He doesn't want you to know his tactics and his schemes. He wants to hide. Because if he can hide, if he can camouflage himself, then he's got you. He has more of a chance of catching you out. You see, we've got to know this adversary, know what he's up to. Realise that we are in fact at war with this evil one. And uh, we're vulnerable if we don't believe that. And we're not really facing reality in this life. It is true. Amen. Praise God. It is true that our enemy was and is defeated by Christ. But as yet, he is not destroyed. That day is coming. He is defeated, but he's not destroyed. And the Bible teaches us, therefore, and warns us as much about our adversary, the devil, uh, as much as we need to know. He, it, the scriptures warn us about this adversary, this, this enemy of ours called the devil. Listen, for example, I'll read some scripture here. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. These are good to write down and go back over later on. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Most of you will know this. Be self-controlled and alert is what he says. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings and truly we do. But isn't it interesting, the Bible says to resist this adversary, resist this one. We can, we have the authority to resist him. Otherwise, without Christ, we're a, we're a joke to Satan. He'd walk all over us. But we're no joke in Christ. He fears and trembles at the sound of the name of Jesus. And Ephesians 6 is another one, good one to write down. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not your own. In him, in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, this is Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armour of God. And all I want to do is encourage you tonight to grow in your, in your own prayer life. Grow in your prayer life. Um, that's where the battles are won. If someone's giving you a hard time, if you're facing adversity at work or in your uni, at school, whatever it is, if you're facing hard times, someone is just nasty to you, you're struggling. The battle isn't won by standing up against them and arguing with them and you know, getting into a fight and that sort of stuff because behind that, there are other forces at work and you win these battles on your knees in prayer. Not saying all the time will you get the victory over those things, but you need to meet the Lord in prayer. You take everything to God in prayer. You put on the full armour of God by praying. Visualise yourself putting on the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the shoes. Take up the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. And then you go into the day knowing that Jesus is right there with you. And the evil one cannot stand against you when you come in his name and authority. Verse 7 says this, back in Revelation 12, verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. And he was not strong enough. That's Satan and his hordes. And they lost their place in heaven. Interesting, Michael being named here. He's been named a few times in the scripture. Michael is the leader of the heavenly hosts. Um, and the ones that are with him are his angels here in this context. He's been described as the archangel. As an archangel in Jude, chapter, uh, Jude 9, for example. Have a look at Jude 9. He's also been described as the one of the chief princes in Daniel chapter 10. This is, my, this is Michael. He's a warlike angel, it seems, and he has overcome Satan and his hordes and, and, and uh, of the evil angels as well. And they've all been hurled down to the earth. You can't fight against God and win. You know, it just doesn't work. Um, and so Satan with his hordes were hurled down to the earth as we read about in verse 9. And then in verses 10 and 12, we have these uh, amazing triumphant words. Verse 11 is described as the most important verse in this chapter 12. The most important, and you know what? It's one of my favourites. I've got many favourites. hope you do as well. But this is a mighty verse. I love this verse uh, because it speaks of the authority that we as believers have in Christ over the evil one. Look at the authority that we have in Christ because of Christ, because of what he's done for us. Awesome authority. And Christians need to seize this more than we do. Look at these words in Revelation 12 and verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And you can also see here in this verse, the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Can you also see that what it's saying also here is that so has his accusations against you and me. They've also been hurled down. Along with the, with the accuser, so his accusations cannot stand. They've also been tossed out of heaven. He doesn't have a case against those because of the blood of the Lamb. Let's keep reading on. And they, being us, 
believers in Christ, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony about the blood of the Lamb and they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Death doesn't bother us because we know where we're going to be in Christ with him forever. Verse 12, therefore rejoice you heavens and you earth and all who dwell in them rejoice. But then it says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. And he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short and short it is. You get hold of something and you sort of feel the tension of this, this amazing authority we have in Jesus. What it means to belong to him. All of his accusations of your past life are all thrown out of heaven. Why? Because Jesus died for you. And took all your sin, past, present, future, took it all to himself on the cross. You're a brand new creation. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan can accuse you as much as he likes, but if you're in Christ tonight, his accusations thrown out. They don't have any place. God doesn't hear any of that rubbish because of what his son did for us on the cross. Warren Worsby. I like what he says. He says the name devil means accuser and Satan means adversary. Satan stands at the throne of God and fights the saints by accusing them. See Job 1 and 1, 2, Job chapters 1 and 2, Zechariah chapter 3. But Jesus Christ, the heavenly advocate, our heavenly advocate, 1 John 2 and verses 1 and 2. Jesus, the heavenly advocate, represents the church before God's holy throne. Because Jesus Christ died for us, we can overcome Satan's accusations by the blood of the Lamb. Our salvation is secure. Not because of our own works, but because of his finished work at Calvary. See, that's the beauty of the gospel message. That's the power of the gospel tonight need to hear that and just bless the Lord for what he's done for you and me we could never have done this we never deserve any of this the only thing we deserve is his righteous condemnation his grace and his mercy is so magnificent and he bestows it upon us because he loves us beyond our belief beyond our comprehension but I wonder where you are with all this tonight where are you with all this tonight I want to ask you personal questions just for you to reflect on because I've got some more questions to ask later. So as you examine your own heart tonight, in the light of what we've just been saying, as you examine your own heart, as you examine your own life, are there any sins that Satan can accuse you of? Is there anything that Satan can accuse you of? You know, have you invited the Lord Jesus into your own life tonight? Do you know him personally as your saviour? You see, it's important to understand that if our sins are not confessed to Christ, if there is no repentance in our life, in other words, there's no changing our minds about what we know is wrong in our lives. If, if we're just going on as normal, just doing life and, and just doing what everyone else does and nothing changes for us. If we don't have any issues about sin in our lives, then there's no forgiveness and Satan's accusations will stand. But, good news, if you do know Jesus 
tonight, then you need to be assured, as the Bible says, as we've already shared in those previous verses in Revelation 12, 10 to 12. Write down Revelation 12, 10 to 12 and read it again. But also the scripture are full of beautiful assurances for us of what we're like, what happens to us when we put our lives in Christ, when we invite him into our lives. Listen to what John says in his epistle, 1 John 1, 7. We did this not that long ago. Let me read these verses to you again. Verse 7 actually. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And listen to this, fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. That, that, that means all sin. That means everything is covered, purified, cleansed in his blood. That's the power of the finished work of Calvary in your life purifies us from all sin thank you lord matthew henry he says let us therefore take heed that we give him satan no cause of accusation against us and that when we have sinned we presently go in before the lord and accuse and condemn ourselves and commit our cause to christ as our advocate by devil's disappointment and defeat he and all his accusations are cast out the indictments quashed and the accuser turned out of the court with just indignation. I love how Matthew Henry puts it. In other words, Satan has not a leg to stand on when we know our sins are forgiven in Christ. The other two signs that we need to uh, read through briefly, brief comments on them from chapter 13 now. Let me read 1 and 2 of chapter 13, Revelation. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his, head, on, on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had the feet of those of, like a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. This is a very interesting scene before us, isn't it? As it was before John, I'm sure. When you try to visualise what this creature looks like, Brendan always gives a good description. When you try to visualise this, you, you, know, you now know what, where film directors get their ideas from, don't you? If they want to create some humongous, horrible, bloodthirsty-looking, scary monster. They get it from the signs in Revelation here. They go to Revelation. They read the signs, but listen, they get it wrong. They always get it wrong because they don't read the signs. So let's have a look at this sign here that John um, saw. And again, we know the dragon here is Satan. We've, we've already seen that. We know that's, that's the case there. Uh, no, no confusion about that. The beast, though, um, and as best as we understand this, and again, so many different interpretations views here, but the beast, as you look at the vision that Daniel had in chapter 7, it's always good to have Daniel chapter 7 open as well when we're going through this. Um, so the beast, as it is seen here in the vision in Daniel chapter 7, was seen to gather in the symbolism of three uh, preceding empires. This might be a little bit confusing, but let me just go through that. The three preceding empires that we see in Daniel, um, Greece, for example, a leopard, 
Daniel chapter 7 and verse 6. I'll just read through this fairly quickly. So Greece, seen symbolizing as a leopard. Uh, Medo-Persia, symbolizing as a bear in, in Jan Daniel 7 and verse 5. And Babylon, a lion, in Daniel 7 verse 4. And the power of the beast came from Satan himself. Look at the last sentence here in verse 2 of chapter 13. The dragon gave the beast his power. Satan gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And this particular verse also compares with what Paul said to the Thessalonians. Listen to these verses. Try and follow me with this. I know some of it's a bit pretty confusing. 2 Thessalonians chapter, verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 9 says this. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. <clears throat> the lawless one. So the lawless one, or in other words, he's the Antichrist. That's where I think this is. Some may differ, but it seems to me that this lawless one is the Antichrist. Uh, he's the first of, one of these beasts in chapter 13, working all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and again, he's empowered by Satan to act as the ultimate world dictator. That's what I think it means. And as Chuck Swindoll says, leading the mother of all evil empires. That's what it means. So the first beast, we could probably say he's the Antichrist, the Antichrist. Lots of Antichrists, but this one seems to be the, the Antichrist. Leading a very evil empire, but as we know, he will not last either. He will not last. The second beast that John sees, that you'll notice comes out of the earth. One comes out of the sea, one comes out of the earth. And I saw another beast, this is uh, verses 11 to 14. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns. I want you to listen to these words quick, uh, carefully. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So just quickly... If you're just trying to work with me here, from this description in verse 11, what kind of figure do you see emerging here? This second beast, for example, apart from it being your worst nightmare, perhaps. But what do we see here? Look at this. He looked like a lamb. So who was the lamb in the scripture? Jesus. So he looked like Jesus, kind of sounded, you know, like Jesus. He, he kind of had the appearance of Jesus. All right? The lamb. But then it said he spoke like a dragon. So who's the dragon? Satan. So here we've got something that looks like Jesus, but he speaks the words of Satan. It is something wrong with his speech. And so this speaks of something that's counterfeit, something that's false, and it's religious in its orientation. In verse 14, it says he deceived the inhabitants of the earth and this one has been described as the false prophet that's where it would most commentators and so on would seem to say that this guy this person whatever it is is the false prophet in revelation revelation 16 13 and 19 20 spells it out fairly clearly in those verses have a look at that let me read them to you again 16 13 this is revelation and 19 20 mentions the false prophet uh, John Valverde, he says this, the false religious system which was supported in this way imitated the divine trinity. 
Satan seeks to take the place of God the Father. The first beast assumes the place of Jesus Christ, the Son, the King of Kings. The second beast, the false prophet, has a role similar to the Holy Spirit who draws Christians to Christ, who draws them to worship God. This is Satan's final attempt to substitute a false religion for true faith in Christ. I'm going to finish there. But before I do, um, and just to say, there's just so much more, and I know that. There's so much more that could be said, so much more you could spend hours, days, weeks studying this. And I hope it just whets the appetite for the, your home groups, that, you know, the, the, your, your life groups that you meet in. It is heavy going, but good to keep reading it through and just pondering it, reading, get some commentaries and so on that will help you as well. But I want to finish with some questions I want you to ponder on tonight. And if you can, either lock them in here, I didn't put them up on the screen, or write them down and discuss them in pairs or in your life groups together or just ponder these questions. As, we read, as we've gone through this tonight, I want to ask you three questions. Who or what are some of the beasts or idols in your own life that tests your allegiance to Christ? Can you, as you just sit and ponder and pray and just before God, ask God, Lord, are there any beasts, are there any idols that I have in my life that is testing my allegiance to you? That's trying to compete with my allegiance of you, Lord? And how is God helping you to deal with that? That's the first question I want to leave you with tonight. The second one. So it's about your allegiance with Christ. The second one. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? I don't think there's a more important question to ask than that. Is your name written in heaven? Is your name written in the book of life? God wants you to be absolutely certain that your name is there. So do you have that certainty tonight? If you don't, then I want to encourage you before you leave here, talk to one of the pastors, talk to one of our students that are here, others that are here tonight, leaders, other mature Christians, talk to them. You need to know before you leave here tonight that your name is securely written in his book. Be certain of that. You can be. God wants you to be. Thirdly, what steps are you taking personally to ensure that you are not deceived or that you will not become deceived by the false prophets, by false teaching, which is all around us? What steps are you taking so that you don't become a victim of false teaching, of false prophets? Because they're out there. They're in the media. They're everywhere. What steps are you personally taking to ensure that you are bolted down in your faith in God's word and that you won't be deceived by the stuff that's out there? The last one, don't forget to read the signs. Read the signs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word thank you for the scriptures thank you god that even though sometimes our mind is boggles with some of these things lord yet still you speak to us and you would have us 
study the scripture, Lord. You'd have us to, to read and, and to persevere and to seek your face. I love your word that says, my heart says, seek your face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Help us to be seekers of the Lord Jesus and have that time with you. Draw close to you. To grow in our intimacy with you so that we really can be strong in the midst of a tide of opposition against you and against your people. Tide is strong, but you're stronger. Thank you. Help us to be steadfast and secure, Lord, like that anchor that holds us secure and steadfast to yourself. And please help us to be people here tonight who are ready, Lord, ready and willing to give an account of the hope that we have in Christ. Absolute assurance that our names are written in heaven. Absolute assurance that come that day, we're going to be with you forever. You want us to have that. That's why Jesus died, so that we might be with him forever. Help us to share that, Lord, as you provide the opportunity this week. May we be willing to share our faith. You're going to be praying even to be looking to inviting someone along, even to the uh, carols again, Lord, that we might invite folk along to that. They would hear the gospel that night, the true meaning of Christmas. Lord, just give us these opportunities, we pray. And thank you for the privilege of using us. Yes, even us, even people like me. Lord, you do that. Thank you. We commit ourselves to you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Go with us in the rest of the evening and into the week that's before us. Thanks that you've already gone ahead of us, prepared the way for us. And we are with you, Lord. You're with us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks.